you're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is episode 376. My name's Dave. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne. Yo. To discuss the season finale of NBC Peacock's adaptation of the classic Aldous Huxley novel, Brave New World. Fortunately for you, the revolution will be televised. The revolution was televised and sent across a network of human brains. Oh, my gosh. I just, uh, I mean, we've seen a lot of brutal scenes in our genre tv viewing days but this was right up there you yeah. know yeah most definitely well especially I mean, are, with how i almost use i mean the violently would be the appropriate word to use but how violently it contrasts with the general tone of the series up until this point well i guess up until the last episode i should say yeah, and I mean, we've talked about how violence really isn't part of their culture and, and you know, little things like a shove, um, the punch early on from Bernard to uh, Henry Foster, and, and it's just like a, a steamroller at this point. But, uh, you know, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, we want to thank our patrons, and next week we're going to cover one of our patreon rewards by looking at episode three of season one of hemlock grove and as we said last time at this rate we should be done season one around 2035 yep yeah, somewhere like around that. the end of the trump presidency oh god please <laughs> um anyway um you know tip of the week what we're watching I, i'm going to keep it brief because we've got a lot to talk about tonight i just want to alert everybody that coming to Netflix on October 9th is The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is, of course, the season two of The Haunting of Hill House. And this one's going to be based on the Henry James novella, Turn of the Screw. Dude, I am psyched for that. Yeah, especially because it means... Oh, wait, no. Sorry. I was getting my wrong early 20th century novel mix. I was like, that means lesbians, but I'm like thinking The Awakening. Oh, there you go. Well, but uh, anyway, are, but yeah, it should be awesome. Like I, I didn't realize it was coming up already, so I'm psyched. Yeah, and and two of the actors will be appearing in this one, of course, in different roles. the uh, The actress that plays the younger sister, Nell, uh, Victoria Pedretti, I think her name is, and then the middle sister, uh, Kate Siegel, is the actor. I can't remember the character's name, but she was the one that was the psychologist that always wore the gloves. And, right. and of course, she's married to Mike Flanagan, who's the creator of the series yeah, was about and the to showrunner say, and all that. She'd have to be around anyway, so yeah, might as well so, put her in uh, the show. Yeah, so looking forward to that. Uh, anything you want to bring up? Um, yeah, well, just really quickly, I started watching uh, Ozark on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen that one. I really liked it. Four episodes in, my wife just said, nah, not into it. And really? I've never gone back. Yeah, wow. I really liked it. Yeah, because, um, you know, I mean, there's, I guess their most recent season was over the summer when it dropped. And so there's a lot of people, you know, talking about it and everything. Keith, uh, you know, one of my buddies used to coach lacrosse with now teaches at River Hill. Couldn't believe I hadn't seen it yet. Uh, so yeah, I figured I'd try it. And I, you know, I, at first it, it was really dark and slow, not dark, like menacing dark, but just like very darkly lit. And so I was having trouble seeing like actual what was going on at first in the episode one. So I wasn't 
so sure about it. But then uh, it, there's a pretty big turn that it takes uh, pretty quickly in episode one. And then after that, it's just kind of like really, really compelling. So I think I'm like I'm on maybe episode six or five of season one. It's just uh, it's really good. So, yeah, well, hopefully I'll get back to it at some point. But, yeah, I was disappointed when she uh, put the kibosh on it but yeah what's she not like about it just too violent or i yeah i don't know you know honestly as i've said a number of times i I can never really predict what she's gonna like right true so anyway there it is i hear you says every married man ever yeah exactly all right brave new world episode nine season one soma red written by executive producer grant morrison who also wrote 101 directed by Ellen Curis, who directed four episodes of Umbrella Academy and two episodes of Catch-22, which is a series that I still haven't gotten around oh, to. It was pretty good. Okay, that's what I heard. I think you even mentioned it one week. Yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, this was an episode that just sets up an inevitable season two and maybe even season three and beyond, as we said last week. So uh, we got a lot questions i mean what's in the box that bernard's got right uh what are his intentions now that he's in the savage lands with helm i mean what kind of world is lenina going to build this time mm-hmm. and and what role does indra play in all of this so we'll, we'll get to all this as we go along but you know i mentioned in the intro about the revolution will be televised so the epsilon uprising as we said, just when I think that Jack 60s partner who who launches the first strike with a well-placed spear shot yes, to that guy's yeah, chest. Could, uh, you know, she could uh, go and probably apply for a, a role in the next version of Moby Dick to come out with that. Yeah, uh, no, no kidding. That was an um, excellent javelin throw to the back. Right. But, you know, as Fred points out in his feedback where we said last week that John gets this revolution started and he really can't step away from it, he kind of does. It, it kind of has spiraled out of control here as well. And, and C-Jack 60 tells John, my friend was unhappy, now he's dead. And John's retort is that you don't need me to tell you how it should be. And I guess what I find interesting, especially given the novel, and and again, as we've said many times, the novel's the novel, the series is the series. I find it difficult to believe the Epsilons in the novel would be able to put these sorts of thought connections together. No, well, the, the, the Epsilons in the novel are conditioned before they're even born and they're deprived of oxygen at certain parts of their um, development as fetuses so that they do not they literally don't have the ability to to think and right. they can only do very simple uh tasks right so here we're we're having this situation set up where it's clear that the epsilons have been conditioned to not really think things through, but apparently they might have the subconscious ability to, and that it'll merely be a a situation where they have to learn how to think for themselves. And as John says, stop taking Soma. Do you want to be happy or do you want to be free? And then it's a great scene where they all just throw down their 
Soma dispensers. Yeah. So. Except for the one guy that's like, oh, shit, wait, you know, actually, maybe I want to be happy. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. and, and just even when the two of them are talking about Lenina and C-Jack 60 says, well, then what? They're still not going to let you love, he prophetically tells John. Uh, again, really taking a deep dive in, into this situation and, and revealing an understanding that he just is a little bit surprising. I, I think it's fine within the context of the show. And it certainly gives a lot of room for the Epsilons to grow. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say I had a problem with it, but I mean, that's when, when Huxley wrote the novel, like he very carefully thought out what would be the only possible way that you could like erase human humanity's self-destructive elements from, from the, the, the species, you know? Uh, and so the, it, it was only through this very strictly controlled society where everything is controlled, where you're controlled before you're even born. And, you know, of course, we, we look at that and say, wow, that's that's crazy. There's no individuality, no individual thought. But the, the, it was stable. And that's this kind of especially this late 20th century uh, view that in order to you, you can. Well, basically what John says, you can be you know, stable and happy, or you can be free and having a completely free society, then it's unstable. You know, actually I was going somewhere with it. I just lost the thread on this completely. Uh, I, I think I was just kind of saying that, um, what I was saying is that the, the epsilons are, are the key because, you know, as, as we said, in, in Huxley's world, they made the epsilons. So they were unable to, you know, consider, their role in society and to to be unhappy with it obviously in this society they didn't do that they left that door wide open for social unrest all it takes is for the epsilons to say listen i don't want to freaking pick up leaves anymore and the whole thing violently collapses very very quickly so the question i guess is did indra do that on purpose you know, because she always claims that she knows exactly what she's doing and she's got everything in control, but we're not 100% sure, though. Right. And it seems that if, in fact, that's true, what you just said, then she's left this world to burn and moved on to another. Right. She's just like, peace out. For, you know, version 2.0 or, you know, whatever version we're actually on. I'm sure it's much far beyond 2.0. But one of the things we'll, we'll have to look at is how the Epsilons are going to overcome their genetic limitations, which, as we've said, are, are, are far less than in the novel, but, but still. And then we also don't know, amidst all this chaos, how many of each level are going to survive the purge right. Right. so that we know what this new world is presumably somewhat egalitarian is going to look like. And again, we'll get to that when we talk about uh, Lenina. Um, you know, there's not a lot of humor in this episode no. and, and, and the episode before it, but as everything is going to hell to see Gary, who's baked like what? 150 pies. Yeah. It, it, it's just, you want to laugh, but you you almost can't because you know everything else that's going on. And then, as we see later in the episode, it it is kind of important that 
you know, he is feeding the masses. He is feeding the revolution to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And I guess when you look at it in broader terms, he's part of this revolution because, you know, the gammas are service models. Sure. Yeah. So. And the, you know, those pies look absolutely delicious. Uh, and once again, yeah. John is like throws his pie across the room. Like, why would you do that? I know. I know. <laughs> That's wrong with you. Um, now, this episode's titled Soma Red. They could have easily titled It's All About the Soma. And, and it is all about the Soma. And, and certainly that groundwork has been uh, laid since the beginning, particularly with Lenina and, and recognizing that she wants to feel certain things. But John grabs that hammer, storms out, and at first, not really sure what it is he's going to do you know but the epsilons all grab you know whatever weapon they have handy you know follow them out and it's it's a wonderfully put together scene because interspersed in that we see bernard trying to assuage the fears of the betas who are working in the lab because they're freaked out that no embryos have have come down their uh, assembly line Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, this is part of the plan. Don't worry about it. And, of course, we know inside he's freaking out. And what's one thing about Bernard? That for all his limitations, he manages to keep his cool in some pretty tight situations. You know, sure. Not the least of which is that, that confrontation with C-Jack 60, who, yeah. you know, I, I think Bernard's ready to meet his makers so yeah yeah he, he he does he he is Hemingway would be impressed I would say with how he uh shows his uh composure in that moment where he thinks he's gonna die instead of whining and begging for his life he just kind of closes his eyes and like all right so be it you know but before that he I mean this is a guy who was born for middle management right like Everyone's saying, you know, basically the the whole society is going to hell in a handbasket. And Bernard's like, no, oh, come on. We did that on purpose. You know, that's, we meant to do that. That's just Indra making a correction. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine, you know. And uh, he has no clue. He has no idea even what's going on. But his first reaction is just to, you know, reassure everyone that, that everything's fine. And so he just basically lies. And uh, everything is not fine. He goes to his office and people are jumping off the roof. So Right. Well, he tells them the truth. This is why we have Soma. And then the scene cuts to Franny and her stormtroopers who corner Lenina, who's still wearing John's Walkman, which I, I think is just a wonderful symbol of her desire to find herself. They usher her away after a quick electroshock. But then we see the key to the whole episode john and the epsilon smash the soma storage containers and the liquid just flows out onto the floor and and with it their society certainly as they know it you know i mentioned earlier uh, c jack 60's partner really starts everything off with that shot to uh, the chest of the i don't know if it was a beta or alpha but john's reaction what the fuck are you doing yeah you know, because this is not what John had in mind. And ironically, it's exactly the same situation he left behind yeah, in the Savage right. Lands. Exactly. And, and, and Bernard points it out to him 
that saying, you know, you put the bullets in the guns. You know, it's like the, he did the exact same thing here. He he doesn't consider the the consequences. And Lenina basically, you know, Lenina and Bernard both tell John the same thing. Essentially, that you just you just go. You don't think about what you're doing. Uh, you you start shit, but you don't think about what the consequences of that could be. And then when things go south, you hold your hands up and claim that you don't, you aren't responsible for it at all. And obviously, the truth is that John is very responsible. Now, could he have known that his little treatise on freedom and his urging the epsilons to to take it to the man? I, I don't really see how he can imagine that it wouldn't turn out like this. That they wouldn't turn murderous. You know, like I, what, I, I don't understand what he thought the outcome was going to be, you know, that, that he would just get the epsilons riled up and all the alphas would say, oh, wow, geez, you're really upset about your place. Well, let's rethink this whole society then, you know, I mean, obviously, the only way that things are, are going to be able to change in this is by way of bloody revolution. Yeah. And, you know, just like in the novel, John comes to New London with a fairly good sense of what things are going to be like because his mother has told him stories of what it was like. Now you could say, well, he never really believed her. He thought they were the ramblings of uh, an alcoholic lunatic or whatever. But, you know, as you said, how could he not really sense that it could go in this direction? And, you know, you mentioned that, that comment, I guess it's Bernard that says, you know, you, you put the bullets in the gun and at first I was thinking he was speaking in metaphor. When John goes online, is that literal? Because I don't think Bernard actually knew. And, and we just assumed he put real bullets in the guns that day, but we didn't really know it for sure. I don't yeah, think. Right, right. Because we only saw him with one bullet, right? Yeah. So... You know, we always, I at least I always thought, well, okay, maybe the bullet for the the guy who who punched him and who was, um, you know, Madison's boyfriend or whatever, you know, but then it turns out there's all kinds of bullets. So, you know, I I, I guess that John ended up putting bullets in all of the guns. Yeah. So I guess I'm wondering still how Bernard knows that or if he was speaking in metaphor, but. Again, just a wonderful, quick sequence where C. Jack Sixty tells John, who's of course, as we said, freaked out that it's it's gone to hell. No one above, no one below, everyone equal. We clean up now, and of course, he doesn't mean picking up leaves. Yeah. He means cleaning up the whole situation, which again shows this level of understanding, but. The, the the dry sense of humor, which of course is not intended, just really I, I think is striking at that point. And you know, I mean, John can't do anything other than watch the slaughter. And he goes to that one dead guy and closes his eyes. And I'm thinking, all right, that's kind of ironic because this is all happening because you opened the eyes of right. all the epsilons yes. and. You know, now one of the other storylines that that of course we we get to the end, and uh, you know, I don't want to say that this episode is fairly easy to 
understand and, and to predict and to explain what is happening. Well, I think it was up until a point, and then it, all of a sudden, it goes freaking sideways. Well, well, it does, but again, it's it's not Battlestar Galactica. It's not Lost. It's not you know dark. It's not one of those kind of endings. No. So you know we see Mond pulling the plug on New London in this episode, and in that opening scene of the episode where Henry Foster's dead body lies on the table, and Bernard, I love it. it's like I've seen dead people before. Yeah, like even now. He can't resist bragging like that, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and, of course, he's true in what he says, but Mon says we need to stop the savage before this goes too far. And it goes back to whether or not Indra truly factored in the savage. And I think, as we've said uh, several times, probably not. And, well, and, see, I don't know, though. Like, yeah. we get to the end of this, and I'm like – before I was pretty sure that she hadn't, but then at the end of this one, I'm like, I think maybe she did, you know? Okay, and and I can certainly see that, and I love that they leave us to question from last week's you know little uh, dialogue between Indra and Mond, where you're lying. I don't lie. I taught you to, lie. you know, that right, whole thing. Right. But. Uh, she appoints Bernard as the director, and we get that great scene where he walks into the his the new office. That suit he's wearing certainly is a cut above what we've previously seen, even though he's always dressed really nicely. But as Fred mentions in his feedback, that smirk on his face mm-hmm. as he sits in the chair and spins around as if this is what I've deserved all along. And, you know. Uh, but, yeah, he, but you he really should have taken a moment to pause and – think about the rather brief tenures of the previous two occupants of that seat and maybe not be a hundred percent uh you know super arrogant and psyched about this new position yeah certainly henry foster right. <laughs> thought that way about it and look what happened to him but you know one of the characters who is so fascinating and is fascinating in the novel except in a different way and that is of course helm examining one of the paintings that we we saw in the director's little office area, whatever. She's really trying to get at the heart of the painting and the person behind the painting. And we, we've talked before about Helm having an artistic sensibility, even though the art form she has chosen to work in, and I say chosen because it was probably chosen for her to, to a large extent, but she starts going deeper after Mon just tries to brush it off as the work of a violent race, well, the same people who did that made this, Helms says, and they feel more than we can imagine. And obviously that's the recurring theme throughout this whole season, reclaiming these human feelings that have been genetically and operatively conditioned out of us. Uh, sorry, I just I I had something and then it just <laughs> continue. Okay, um, and then of course the the whole mother child dynamic and Helm recognizing the connection between Mond and Indra and, and seeing it as her child and and pointing out that the computer sees you 
as its mother and is afraid you'll leave, doesn't want to be alone. And, of course, that's it to a large extent. And, and we see that Indra does not leave itself alone at the end, which, which again, is a great reveal when we see Bernard and right. uh, Helm in the Savage Lands. But you know that, that whole idea that you are the first and last of your kind, an AI that exists within a network of human consciousness. Right. So, you know, in a sense, you know, we've certainly made the Skynet illusion a number of times before. This is different, probably worse, don't you think? Oh, yeah, exactly. When the network is, is people's brains. And so, and, and this kind of like, when I watched this the first time, I didn't really notice this, but this time I did how the epsilons just stop. Like once Indra is gone, the epsilons drop all their weapons and that's the end of the revolution. Yeah. You know? And, and, and what does that mean? Right. Well, I mean, it, it seems to mean that Indra was controlling them and making them do this. Right. So that this right. whole thing, blowing up society like this, was totally the plan. And, you know, Mon tells Indra, as you eliminate people, which is apparently what's happening, their data is going to upload to you through their optics. And Indra's like, yeah, and? So, again, part of the plan, and as you said, the, the question about whether Indra's orchestrating this, I think we get our answer, yeah, just to, as you said. I'm the last one to go, Mon tells Indra, who, who now recognizes that she's trying to stop the AI. And again, this is a great issue that we've seen many times, 2001, A Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. when they try to shut down HAL is perhaps one of the first that that I think has really come to the sci-fi world's consciousness. But, you know, we've learned that there were the 10, but we get a little bit more explanation when Mond reveals that they were the conduit between the social body and Indra. What exactly that means isn't really clear. You know, I mean, so they're all in some sort of state of stasis, and apparently they take turns waking up. You know, I think we established that last time. But what does all that mean? You know, are they sending out messages to Indra? You know, I mean, I don't know. I, I Yeah, I, I don't think they ever make it, like, super clear, except that, you know, Mon says that it, it's all about, like, circles, right? There's, there's circles of – the network has, like, circles of connections, and that these right. ten people – are the the innermost circle um but I, yeah I, again i don't think they really need to explain uh, a ton about it because we just say okay for some reason these 10 people were instrumental for indra to run and then by um shutting down their the machines that they are you know that they're in that that uh causes you know shuts down indra yeah. And, and again, the first time I saw the scene when Mond is kneeling by the bloodied C-Jack 60, and of course, it's not his blood that's all over him. And he asks her, why are we like this? And she gives that brief explanation. We were built around a flaw. It can't be corrected or conditioned away. And I assume she's talking about conditioning away feelings mm-hmm. and the myriad of 
different options that we have in terms of feelings, whether it's, you know, happiness, anger, joy, jealousy, as we've said several times. But when she says, I need you to come with me, the first time I'm pretty clueless as to why she needs him and then ah right okay Okay, that makes sense to use his fingerprint because indra has locked her out of the room but she didn't at least she didn't cut his thumb off you know right right (laughs) that's an option we've seen that (laughs) right and and then once they get there and he tries to remove his optic but it's a stubborn little bugger Uh. he eventually i i wasn't sure where he was going with that well, I thought where he was going with it, but oh, yeah, thank right, God right. they didn't go where I thought he was going with it. Right. But he eventually gets it out. You're free now, Mon tells him. And the reality of the surviving members of the 10 is revealed. And, you know, her explanation real quickly, the world was dying. At least we tried. All right fine whatever um, <laughs> this this was the best you could come up with uh, i guess uh, you know um, they, they did it i mean it I, i'm impressed yeah. <laughs> you know it, it it seemed like it was pretty but they uh and, and i don't necessarily think that they didn't consider the idea of of human feelings always kind of never really being able to uh you know being able to erase those i think just indra had other plans and and that really seems to be what led to the, the destruction of society you know so it wasn't necessarily a flaw in in mon's thinking except for that they you know put everything into the hands of a computer program that was essentially uh, you know, an adolescent child. Right. And, you know, you mentioned that once the system comes down, the violence ceases. And that's, of course, as the last of the nine dies. So I guess because Mond is not jacked in at this point, that, that you know, the, that explains why she can still be alive and everything ceases. It, it still doesn't explain how the whole networked worked but i i guess we don't necessarily need to know that the, it it just does yeah and well yeah and one thing i thought was uh if you have like a, a kill switch on the you know on, on some machine that's basically keeping these people alive that making society run and stable um you should probably make it more elaborate than what you would do to like the for the ball return at the bowling alley you know Right. Now, you know, one explanation, though, for why the killing stops is that we can no longer see other people's levels. And when Lenina's running, um, I can't remember who she's running with, but uh, they go by some epsilons and, and she says they don't see us because we don't have our optics in we do see that once the last of the nine dies, no one can see anybody else's levels. The Epsilons are killing alphas and betas. So now they don't know who's an alpha and a beta. Is that why they stop? That's a good point. I didn't think about that, Dave. So I don't know. I mean, it, it no, that's, doesn't. That's an excellent point. I, that Yeah. Because I forgot about when she's with John and and she says right that they can't they can't see us. 
Um, and yeah, maybe that's why, because all of a sudden they don't see any of the yeah, level markers, so they just stop. Oh, okay. So, all right. And then, you know, in the director's office, we get that, that final scene where Mond makes Lenina the new director, which uh, is just such a wonderful position to put her in. Knows that Indra is still out there, but she tells Lenina, you'll have no one to guide you, no protection. And, you know, one of the things I said at, at the beginning of the discussion, you know, what kind of world is Lenina going to build this time? Because she's being given a second chance. So it seems as if she'll, number one, want to build a world without Soma. Number two, you can't necessarily have a world without levels. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. Now, yes. um, even I, the I, most, even societies like, you know, you know, uh, Soviet Russia and China that, you know, purport to be completely, you know, egalitarian level free, uh, are obviously are not. Someone's still got to run the joint, right? Right. And I'm trying to remember, I, I believe it's one of Huxley's other novels. It's something to, to the word T-W-O. And in it, they, you know, are, you know, showing us this egalitarian society in which the jobs are spread out. So even though you are the director, you still have to put in your two weeks a year picking up trash. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe it'll be something along those lines. I, I don't know, but it's just going to be fascinating to watch what she does with this world. And uh, Yeah, and, and honestly, actually, I just thought of this, is that it's probably not unlike what she did with Indra before she tasked Indra with creating society and, and everything. And she's basically now doing the same thing, except with a human. Like, Lenina's being given the same job as, you know, create a world, I guess. Actually, we're not 100% sure what Lenina is being tasked with, right? Because they don't really yeah. say. Right. Uh, actually, it, it was a novel called Walden 2, okay. writ, written by B.F. Skinner, who Skinner, was a right, behavioral right. psychologist. And, and, you know, it explores a lot of these you know, like I said, egalitarian things that that uh, seem to come out here. You know, uh, we've talked a little bit about Bernard navigating the massacre, and, and I love it when he first leaves his office to find Lenina, as all hell's breaking loose around him. Even his office door malfunctions, <laughs> and you know he he manages to get out. And then when he finally finds Lenina, and he says, "There's no reason why an alpha and a beta." can't be friends but then he tells her john's got to be removed uh, dude deal breaker there you were doing fine up until that point right right and, and uh you know the the social body and this is one of the i think most difficult things for bernard to deal with is as we see the social body resorting to savage behavior as the citizens learn that the soma supply chain has been interrupted and they start fighting over what's available. Did you see what he did with his? Yeah, he just kind of like takes it off the top of his desk. Yeah, and kind of has little. Yeah, uh, I'm going to put this in my drawer here. 
His little stash tray. <laughs> uh, and, and then again, as you mentioned, all he needed to do was kind of turn around and, and see the bodies that are plunging to their deaths from, you know, uh, above. That, I guess, really speaks to the flaw in the program, as Mon mentions, that she's a, you know, a couple hours without Soma, and, and this is how you handle it? Yeah. Which then begs the question, why is Lanina so different? Is she just an outlier? Um, I, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's uh, it seems to me there's always been something about Lanina where she has been able to react differently than what she's been conditioned to do. And, and we said Bernard, for all his flaws, he does handle himself pretty well in, in all of this chaos. And, and even when C-Jack 60 confronts him, as we said a, a little bit ago, I thought it was possible he was going to kill Bernard as Bernard's trying to explain, yeah, it's not my fault. It's not the Alpha's fault. It's Indra. And, and clearly C-Jack 60 is not buying any of it. And then he says, Alphas have betas for their pleasure, gammas for their service, epsilons to clean up. And you have to wonder, could the alphas have stopped the cycle? Well, of course they could have. But why should they? Yeah. Right? I mean, I guess it would, you could argue it would take an alpha thinking outside the box. But then the, the reasonable reaction would be, uh, nah, maybe that's not a good idea. Let's stick with the status quo. Everybody's happy. Exactly. And that's what they've been... I mean, even their conditioning speaks to that, right? That like they, they wouldn't even consider this idea of, of you know, going outside the status quo or try to revamp the system, right? Because it's, you know, everyone is happy with, with their situation. Now, of course, it's not universally true. And, and that's the thing. Like, in the novel... Well, it is true, right? I mean, it's it's inhuman how they make it so that people are happy with their station. But in Huxley's original version, like all the people in New London are happy, and there are some outliers like Bernard and uh, Helmholtz Watson uh, in in the novel who are then just sent away to exile, right? And they're removed from the society, and so that's how in society. So then keeps out all the disaffected, right? So the people who are there are people who are completely, you know, they are slaves to their biology, their created biology and to their conditioning. But yet the the system is stable and it, you know, it, it has something. It can take in something like John the Savage and survive. And it's spoilers. If you haven't read the novel, just stop listening for just maybe like 30 seconds. You know where John kills himself in the novel because he can't go on society. He can't change society, and so you know, so so he doesn't. Society continues, and he doesn't. And in this case, it's just the opposite. Where John, albeit ironically, um, seemingly living on his own in exile, continues, and the society then is destroyed. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, we'll get to that in a second, because John, as you said, he, he removes himself, we assume, from 
from New London. But just just that last thing, because when CJAC 60 and Bernard are having this confrontation, the network is still up and running. So CJAC 60 knows exactly who Bernard is. And then because of Bernard's connection to his dead friend, CJAC, I think it was 57, he lets him live. And I love he just says, stay down. Yep. And it's one of those lines we've heard in any of a number of action films before where one character just tells another, just stay down. In in other words, stay out of this fight because otherwise it's not going to end well for you. But I, I, I didn't mean to imply that everything about this episode was easy to understand. And uh, of course you called me on that, but what the hell does Bernard see in those tiny little globes? I mean, are these alternate simulations? He's apparently still connected to Indra when no one else is. Right. So the nine are offline. Is this now just a one-on-one between Indra and Bernard and and we don't really know what the deal is with Mond. Has she pulled herself offline? Yeah, uh, you know, the, this is the left turn we were referring to earlier because you're right. Up to a point, this thing is just chugging along, beautiful narrative, very understandable, and then all of a sudden, it's like a, a major acid trip, like that just goes. And, uh, way off the rails well not off the rails says to suggest bad just completely bananas and now we are in the realm of I don't understand at all what's going on or how it's going on or anything like that and they really offer no explanation right and, and I kind of like that to no, I love a certain that. degree Indra is a ultra powerful computer who has mentioned on more than one occasion the execution of simulations so are these all possible simulations that indra has within her you know or her computer chip or whatever that's a good one um but the other thing we see though as the last of the nine come offline we cut to the savage lands and the wall deactivates and we see rebel leader Sheila is still in play. And of course we'll see her again later on, but I just, in in terms of explanations, that's my best guess is that these are all possible simulations, not necessarily the simulations that Indra has run previously, but that she's got at her disposal right that's that's a, that's pretty good dave but they're also so, they they all come crashing down though don't they they do except for the one he grabs the one and the others go crashing down so maybe it was it was up to bernard to choose the the one thing because you know maybe because she's limited because now she just exists in bernard's brain yeah and and i'm not sure i guess i'd have to go back and look i wonder whether they come crashing down at the same time the last of the nine come offline i'm not sure about that yeah so I'd, I'd have to go back and look no, but it's just so trippy and you're just i'm trying you know you're trying to because it's just images there's no dialogue which again I, I love that and you're trying to you know glean from this what is going on literally it's very difficult 
to 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 get at. And I don't think you know. I, I assume we'll we'll probably get uh, if there. I hope there's this. I really hope there's a season two of this. And you assume that that would be something maybe we would come to understand, just like this episode. I'm sorry, this season where we you know eventually were revealed piecemeal uh, what Indra's deal is and what this world is like. Um, you know, I assume that that in season two, it will get a little bit at a time of kind of coming to the understanding of what actually happened here uh, and what is this relationship between Bernard and, and Indra. Right. And, and the first inkling we get that there is going to be this continuing relationship is when we see him wake up lying in the grass near the edge of the ocean or whatever body of water that is. And he's got that metal box. Helm approaches and tells him that she had a vision of a place where they feel everything and he's the leader. So is this a dream? Is is this part of Indra still being connected to her? Because we don't necessarily see Helm remove her optic, though we kind of have to believe that she already has. I mean, I mean, we see her at one point do it or earlier in the, in the season, but she asks what's in the box and then asks if she's he asks if she's coming right i assume that that plane that they take is the one that the director had left for john before john you know sent him to his yeah dad. because th- did someone mention a couple episodes ago how the the it was still there you know like the ship was still there right or right. whatever so yeah right so it's programmed to go to the savage lands which is of course where bernard and helm end up just again the contrast between new london even in the state of chaos that they left they're walking along that deserted dusty road in the savage lands a pickup pulls up of course a pickup (laughs) sheila gets out and and she and bernard recognize each other again classic i thought i told you to never come back yep (laughs) And then he shows her what's inside the box. Get in. They all drive away. And then we get that camera shot of Bernard's eye, mm-hmm. which kind of tells us he's still connected to Indra, as, as we've uh, implied. And he may be the only one. So I guess the question is, what the hell is in the box? Yeah. Yeah. This is a, a classic Pulp Fiction moment here, right? That That was yeah. always like... The, the suitcase that people opened up and we'd see that it would shine on the face and they'd be like, whoa. Um, and then they close it and you're just like, what the hell is in the suitcase? You know, but, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino will never, I wonder if like on his deathbed or something, you know, or he's, he's got like some document, like it went, after I die, release this information of what was in marcellus wallace's suitcase but it's the same thing sheila opens up the box she has this look on her face i couldn't i was trying to come up with a word to to describe the look on her face i don't know if astonished or or amazed maybe i don't know but it's like the same thing where we understand that she knows what that thing is and it's something pretty bitchin and so much so that she goes from, you know, threatening to kill Bernard to get in the back. Let's go. Right. And I guess that's my one problem with this scene. It's clearly some piece of technology 
I don't know what else it could be. Why would she recognize it and its importance, having lived in the Savage Lands her whole life? Right. That yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Right. For two people like Bernard and Sheila, who have like zero shared experience, uh, yet this thing they both. She innately knows what she doesn't have to say. He doesn't have to describe it. He can just show it to her and she knows what that is. And, you know, that then begs the question about what Bernard intends to do in the Savage Lands. Go back to Helm's vision of him being the leader here and being someone of importance. Ironically, the revolution has already begun. Will Bernard take over? Will his experiences in New London lead him, Helm, and presumably Sheila to, I guess, spearhead the the revolution here? And and maybe it's not going to take the same direction that Sheila intended, but I think the, the point is the same. No one above, no one below, everybody equal. Yeah, but like, which place is represents that that philosophy now though right right none none and and, and there is therein lies another flaw so again it'll be fascinating so i think at this point we just have to uh, accept that indra is still controlling bernard to a certain extent whether indra is controlling helm isn't clear at this point but this is, I think, Indra's next simulation. She's left New London, and I'm going to try my luck and try my hand in the Savage Lands. Right. And she says, you know, she tells Bernard that I found a way to make you happy forever. So she's still trying to work out, you know, how to create this perfect human civilization. And ironically, it seems like the next place that she's going to try and build the society is going to be in the Savage Land. Whereas back in New London is the place that's going to be based on all free will and no soma, you know, so. Right, right. And, and you know, and then finally, you know, Lenina making her choice. And, and as we said last time, didn't want to necessarily give away what we knew since we admitted we'd already seen the finale. We assume that all of these little clues about being sent to the reconditioner were meant for Lenina when, in fact, it's Franny that's being sent there. But it appears she's being sent there to be reconditioned with a new purpose, which is sort of like this mini assassin meant to take down Lenina. Well, is did they try to recondition her that way? Or did she just, like, it seems like she got herself out of it. Like she broke out and that they weren't really able to recondition her at all. Oh, Okay. I mean, we saw that one scene where she's, you know, sitting face to face with who I assumed was her reconditioner. But yeah, I guess you could be right. Well, right, about because that. she she's got like the cattle prod pointed at her. Yeah, well, that's true. And then you know, so she gets out, and you know, Franny's journey is is really interesting because you know here, you know, she Lenina taunted her before about always coming in second and. You know, never being able to 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 beat her, and, and actually, you know, the her coworkers even accused Lenina of having Franny sent because she was so jealous of her position as 
the, you know, number one beta or whatever, or something like that. So, you know, like Franny, just really, I mean, we talk about how, you know, you mentioned how jealousy is something that it seems like they haven't conditioned out. Uh, and that same way too, not that she's necessarily jealous per se, like, like the same way Bernard is, but she is kind of jealous of Lenina and her abilities and, and her, um, you know, how she stands out, but she just can't, when, when push comes to shove though, Franny is unable to take that next step and, and turn that rage into actual physical violence on Lenina. Yeah, well, that, that is true. And um, even before, like you, you're talking about, I, I think her name is Vivian, their their coworker who starts challenging Lenina. Meanwhile, Bernard is putting out the all call, which she keeps ignoring <laughs> until she finally tells him to shut up. Well, I believe she says fuck off, I believe. Well, yeah, right before that. Used. Removes her optic and drops it to the ground. She wouldn't dare, one girl says. Oh yes, she would, yep. <laughs> and 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 then walks out, tosses her white work jacket to the side again, symbolic of her abandoning this life. But then, you know, you mentioned Franny. She tells Bernard that the social body needs to be purified. Right. On the one hand, I'm thinking, well, where is that coming from? Was that part of the conditioning she just received? while she was there because that seems pretty extreme true for for a beta plus at this point right and and she also says something about like you know not letting things slide anymore you're, you're right that that does seem you're right that, that that is really really extreme so maybe you know franny did but of course we you know we can't cut out how indra can you know, has, is in everyone's brains. So right. to what degree do, could this potentially be Indra, you know, controlling Franny? True, because she's obviously still got her optic in at this point. Right. Right. Um, and then Lenina goes to John's to say goodbye, but of course finds only Gary and dozens of pies that he's baked. And of course, at this point, we don't know exactly what he plans to do with them. We learn that later. But tells him that she didn't have anything meaningful to take with her, but takes John's Walkman, which, again, I think from a symbolic standpoint is really nicely done. And she starts to ask Gary to tell John something. Tell John I, and we know what she wants to say. Yeah. But she doesn't get it out. And then later on, when John and Gary uh, talk it out, it's like, well, what did she say? She said, Tell John I. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. That, that's really you know the the only two like really moments of levity come through Gary here, but that was that was a great one. Yeah, and, and then that final sequence where John's walking along a river with that homemade fishing pole to call it crudely made would be uh, a gross overstatement. But that um, you know the fly looks like is pretty well made though. So. Well, that's true. That's true. Uh, and then we see him eating the fish inside this rundown building and the camera zooms out. I think we have to assume he's living in old London. Yeah, I, I, definitely, I, you know, I didn't stop and, and try, but it, it looks like there's some definite structures in there that we would be able to identify. And I'm sure if 
if we looked at it, that uh, we'd, we'd see that, oh, that's like Parliament or the Old Bailey or something like there's Right. You know. I mean, these vacant, decaying buildings. And as he's eating the fish, we see Lenina sitting opposite him. Of course, we immediately deduce, well, that's not real. So is it simply him imagining her, you know, again, not ready to disconnect from the relationship he had with her, but for whatever reason, he's chosen to live in New London. We assume he's chosen it as opposed to he was banished there because the final shot is of Lenina looking out at what appears to be the beginning stages of a farming area. It certainly looks like that Epsilon land that we went to way back at the beginning uh, when she went there on the train with John. So, you know, is she going to try a different approach that instead of limiting this to the Epsilons, is this now going to be for everybody? Are we going to have some sort of egalitarian community? But of course, what we're left with is that the two of them are not together. Right. She's in New London in control. He's in old London, kind of in isolation, yeah. so it would seem. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, well, and, uh, you know, I, I was wondering, you know, because again, I, we've seen things before. It's, you know, it's a fairly enough common, you know, thing in, in television where a person who is, you know, thinking of another person looks across the table and, sees that other person there and then the camera like takes a different angle and we realize oh no he's just imagining that but the image of lenina like flickers a little bit so i'm like oh that's he actually seeing this does he have his optic in now oh okay well of course that would beg the question that she's got hers in well no he could maybe just see well yeah you're right could yeah maybe and 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 then does indra play a role in Lenina's world or is Indra occupied with the savage lands? I guess when you're a computer as powerful as Indra, you could make the argument. There's no reason she can't do both, but Indra's not as powerful as she once was, or is she so many things we don't really yeah, know. We don't, yeah. Uh, yeah. I totally guess I can't, I can't see Lenina building a world with optics. No, no. So, so in terms of what he sees, and I, and I agree with you, I did notice that it flickers. What exactly that means, you know, not sure. I mean, I, again, I can't believe John would keep his optic in. Exactly. He didn't want to put it in when he was, you know, amidst everybody and he was still being touted as a hero. True. So I don't know. But things have anyway, changed, though, you know. Things have changed. So uh, what else you got that we haven't talked about? So there was one thing. This is kind of like a little dark tie-in. Uh, John and Bernard, after the chaos has ended, they see a, a body on the floor wearing a red dress that Lenina looks exactly like the one that Lenina had been wearing. Uh, John goes to turn the body over, and Bernard is like, no, don't. You know, if you don't, then she, you know, he, he never gets to finish the thought, but you, you get the feeling he was going to say, if you don't flip that open, uh, flip, uh, flip her over, then it she's not dead. You know, kind of like right. a Schrodinger's box uh, type situation that we saw in, in Dark. You oh, know? 
Nice. I like so, it. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did notice that, but I didn't make that connection. Ah, cool. Yeah. The dark is, is just always on my mind now, I think. Like, yeah. Uh, that, that uh, you know, and I think Fred talks about this a little bit, but, you know, this is, we see almost like this cycle of, of revolution. As we said before, I mean, John was, I mean, I think we're, we're agreed that he was pretty irresponsible with, you know, his, how he related to the Epsilons and that, um, you know, the that this, but how often have we seen that, right, where a revolution eats its own children, and certainly the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution. I mean, pick and you know basically any revolution, and you're going to see that the the people who started it oftentimes are become you know swallowed up by the the, the younger generation that comes up behind them. That is often even more radical, uh, and uh, you know so we kind of see that, but also you know that there are in CJAC sixty. The uh, the guy that John closes his eyes was the you know the guy who was he, he calls him a motherfucker <laughs> earlier yeah. in uh, because he's you know it looks like the epsilons are kind of enjoying the soma you know and uh, and even you know Lenina herself and, and Bernard who wasn't necessarily participating in the revolution but you know maybe could be but anyway. Yeah, we see that there's degrees of consequences for all of them, right? Yeah, and and how they're going to pick that up in season two. And again, we don't have any prior knowledge, but I don't know. It almost seems a foregone conclusion, but you never know. Yeah. Well, I tend to. Here's what I like to think, in my view, and I think you're probably right that Lenin is going to be like the new director and that she's going to be tasked with, you know, creating a new society here in London. But I kind of like the idea of Lenina as being like the traveling assassin who's got to go incognito to the savage land to try and take down Indra and Bernard. Well, you know, I think that would well, be pretty cool. And bringing that to my attention, it, it does seem Likely, although this could be something for season three, that once the two worlds not become aware of each other, but become aware of what each other is building, that there is going to be that final showdown between New London and the Savage Lands. And they'll both be very different than the worlds that we experience in season one. But oh, I like it. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Anything else? Um, no, I think uh, I think that might be it. Okay. All right. Well, let's hear what Fred's got for us, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Brave New World Season One, Episode Nine, the Season One Finale. Shortly want to come back to last week's discussion about Bernard just being an alpha and being conditioned how he treats Gary. I don't think so. I think a part of his behavior is just driven by jealousy. And jealousy is not a thing that should be there in the Brave New World in New London because everybody belongs to everybody, so no jealousy, etc. So it's really a wrong non-Brave New World feeling that drives Bernard here, I think that makes him extra vicious towards Gary. More than the normal how an alpha treats a gamma. 
Okay, about episode 9. I predicted that Bernard would be the director, and he did. But on the other hand, that was not a so difficult prediction. I liked his smug face when he finally sat down in the director's chair and turned around. But he couldn't enjoy this position for a very long time. Talking about smug faces, I liked, as well in the beginning, Lenina's smug face when she took out her optic and just trembled it and actually said to all her colleagues, go to hell, I do what I like, and just throw her lab coat somewhere on the street. Actually, I didn't understand why Mustafa Mund wanted to touch Bernard's face just shortly when they were talking at Henry's corpse. Nice that Helm makes the connection between the feelings of John for his mother and the feelings of Indra for Mustafa Mund. Wonder, love, terror, being afraid that she is going to leave. That's the strange thing. Indra fights Mustafa Mund, but also admires her and is afraid that she is going to leave. Well, it sounds like a normal pubescent child fighting your parents, but also being afraid losing them. I hadn't expected it would become that bloody. Okay, revolutions are mostly bloody, and that's what we see here. And you were talking in your last podcast about that John starts this revolution and he cannot withdraw from it. He has to be engaged. But if we see this episode, he is not in the lead anymore. It's out of his control, and he's probably even not involved anymore. So in the sense of... If you start a revolution, you have to lead that revolution. It's not completely true here, I think. It went into a direction he didn't want it to go. And on the other hand, I really wonder if he actually knew what he was doing, what he was creating. He was just kicking against the establishment. Or you could say he was freeing the Epsilons. Probably because he identified himself with them being the underdog in the savage lands and the role he had there. What will happen to New London is a big question, especially because Mustafa Mund, with the help of CJ60, shut down all her nine other central regulators. I didn't understand fully why she shut them down. Is she really going to shut down the whole New London experiment? Does she want New London to die together with her. So I am dying and my experiment has to die with me. I don't know where the book ends, but the 1998 movie ends with Lenina becoming pregnant from Bernard. John died in the meanwhile and he is the director and orders that she can go outside the brave new world and she gets her child in the savage lands actually. And here, of course, Bernard goes outside New London with Helm Watson. And then they meet this savage leader and give her that golden box. Big question, of course, is what is in the golden box? And and is so important that it convinces this woman to take Bernard and Helm with her. Question is, what will happen to Lenina and John? I think all good for a second season, but probably quite different from the book. Good thing about that is that if there will be a second season, 
Hannah John Cameron will be in. And biggest question, of course, is what will happen to Gary? I'm lead with that shit next time. Did you talk to her? Oh, yes. And what did she say? Uh, she said, if you see John, tell him I... Um, you know, again, one of the things Fred brings up about the nine, are, are they shut down forever? Are they actually dead? Because we know they can bring them out of stasis, but it doesn't appear as if that's what was done. So, Yeah, I think there was like a red X yeah. on that button. So that, you know, the buttons with red Xs on them generally you know, seem like pretty bad. Right. So I'm going with the idea that, that they're done forever. Um, but he also brings up the fact that Bernard is driven by jealousy, which, as we've said many times, supposedly has been conditioned out of the residents of New London. So why does he experience jealousy? Is it because, as as we've said, he's an outlier like Lenina? He certainly wasn't conditioned that way. And I guess that's really the only explanation that Helm, Lenina, Bernard are the outliers and and see jack 60 well, right yes. or that this is all part of indra's play okay you know yeah, true like like i said i keep going back to her. she keeps claiming that she that she's got this all worked out that everything that's happening is is st- that's part of the plan so you know so. that's a possibility okay. all right anything else about fred's feedback um, just to, to say, you know, that um, he had mentioned like how the the 1998 uh, movie ends and, you know, as we said earlier, how, I mean, this version of Braden World departed from the book long, long, long ago, like pretty much halfway through episode one, I would say it did. And, and so, I mean, there are two completely different things. I know we've talked about Huxley's novel a fair few times, just as kind of like not any kind of comparison, certainly not as any kind of criticism of the TV show, because I think the TV show worked wonderfully on its own as its own legitimate uh, work of art. And, and and I think you do a disservice when you only look at it in light of, you know, how it relates to the novel, because as as we've been saying, they're just so completely different. Now, that being said, if you haven't read the novel, I would I can't recommend it highly enough. It's such a great book, and uh, you know, if especially if you if you liked, again, if you do go to to read the novel, just as we had to put our expectations aside and look at this as a different form, don't go into the novel, you know, expecting it to be anything at all like the TV show because it's it's not the TV series, I should right. say. So, all right, well, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Uh, are you going A plus or just A? You know, I don't know if I can give it an A plus. Oh. I could give it like a solid, like ninety seven, maybe. You know, it's like very close. And there's, and again, not that there's anything that they did wrong. Not that I didn't. Like, I loved it. I thought it was it was excellent uh, from top to bottom. You know, I just don't know when I think about like, you know, like those episodes of dark i don't know you know i think dark just skews the whole rating system you know like like if, i i don't know if it reached that kind of that transcendent level of excellence okay. it was reached a level of excellence okay. but i don't know that 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 highest level if it 
It, it, it's no uh, international assassin, I should say. <laughs> that, I guess that's kind of like the, the, the grade. That's yeah. so why I keep in my mind for the A pluses. All right. Sounds good. That'll do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. I want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Brave New World, Dark, anything else going on in genre TV. Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Get into the discussions there. If you want to email us, it's sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. We'll be back next time to discuss the third episode of Hemlock Grove. But until then. You know, um, yeah, this is really weird thing happened when I was a lot younger. You know, I was like at this party, you know, maybe had a bit too much to drink and, you know, just kind of crashed wherever. And then there was like, I guess it was probably like a guy uh, there next to me and then you know in the morning uh, a part of him was embedded in me